The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. And then he died after he <laughs> got his sister pregnant. <laughs> so. You make it sound like the, like the way you just said that. I was like, now can you do this in a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air style? Like, <laughs> open it and then <laughs> finish this, it out. This is the story all about yeah, how? No, yeah, exactly. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode number 200 and something. I did not bother to check. What are we on? 220? Somewhere uh, around yeah, there. Yeah, around there. Um, all right. And I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, we read two or three books a month for his, this show. And he reads twice as many as that, but he can't manage to make any of those the Silmarillion. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> it, it's now a personal vendetta, like, <laughs> to try and avoid it. Uh, you're an awful human being. All right. If I were a dragon, I'd put him under a spell that would make him do $50 commissions for me. It's Tolkien illustrator and returning guest, Kip Rasmussen. Hi. Glad to be back. It's great <laughs> to be here, seriously. Oh, I'm so glad to have you back, Kip. That was uh, not exactly the insult that you promised. I yeah. know. I, it wasn't as insulting, but um, it's it's the, uh, the situational insult. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, Kip, you may remember, was on our very first Silmarillion episode. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. It's one of my favorites. Kip, that was four years ago. Oh my goodness, is that right? Yeah, let wow. that sink in for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sunk. Uh, four years ago, and we still haven't managed to read this entire book as a podcast. All right, let's move on from that. Well, I've owned copies of The Lord of the Rings for as long as he's been alive. It's Jack Butler. <laughs> that's okay. If, go ahead. And, I mean, my youth is probably the most interesting thing about me at this point. So that's the mo the thing most worth ma making fun of. Well, it's um, um, it's not only your defining characteristic as far as we're concerned, because you may be the youngest panel or pa yeah panelist that we've ever had on the show, um, but you run a podcast of your own based entirely around your youth. Yeah, and my charming personality. Well, there is that. Um, uh, it's called yes, Young it's... Young Americans. People can go check it out. Uh, young Americans. Uh, Jack is joining us via Google, the internet, something, via the webs <laughs> uh, from Washington D.C. And so you're you're all over the the politics stuff, and you run a podcast called Young Americans, where young people get together and talk about politics. Um, and I, I've I've listened to it myself, and it's quite good. So people should go listen to it. It's it's yeah I, I I enjoy it but I have to I'll, I'll I should be honest that it's by no means the source of my my renown such again such as it is uh it, I I I made I cut my teeth as a as a uh, quip giver on the remnant with Jonah Goldberg uh, which that, is that's where that's yeah it's fantastic that's the only reason people know about me yeah that's a it's a great <laughs> so. show if um if people want to go listen to Jack on other programs you can look up those two Young Americans or the Remnant with Jonah Goldberg. They are both political shows, uh, but if you are if you are a hard left or hard right person, it they're going to piss you off probably because they're <laughs> they're pretty um, uh, I don't know centrist right common, I say. common sense yeah something like that anyway I love both of the shows they're great but let's uh, move on oh the other thing Jack yeah this is where your bona fides come in bona fides if I'm being really uh, smarmy about it. Um, and you definitely like to put on the smart. Uh, look, I'm not. 
I'm not above a little smarm, okay? <laughs> uh, you wrote, recently wrote uh, a review of the World War I uh, picture, Peter Jackson's World War I picture for ricochet.com, uh, kind of taking a Tolkien angle on it. Uh, and so wanted to encourage people to go check that out. Ricochet.com, search Jack Butler, and go find that piece. Give it a, give it a read and give him a comment and a piece of your mind. Do it for the clicks. Yeah, hopefully a good piece. Yeah, well. Um, but, but we'll see. All right, well, that's enough throat clearing. Let's get on to this episode. I uh, bef- I normally would ask you to go to Patreon and, and all that stuff, uh, but instead of supporting us for this episode, I would encourage you to go to kiprasmussen.com and buy one of his prints there. It's uh, They're wonderful pieces of art. So instead of going to patreon.com slash legendarium, patreon.com slash legendarium, patreon.com slash legendarium, <laughs> you should go to kiprasmussen.com and check out his prints there. He's one of my favorite Tolkien illustrators, and we are super lucky that he is relatively local here. So Very kind of you. Um, let's move on. Today we are talking about Turin Turambar, and this is one of the weirdest chapters from the Silmarillion. It's, uh, there, there's a lot to talk about with this, uh, so uh, hopefully, we, hopefully we make it all in within an hour. I guess we'll see. Uh, but I have a recap for you. Ryan, normally I do these in three paragraphs. Today I did it in two, but it's going to feel like five. <laughs> Are you ready? I, I am. Okay, well, Tell me what happened in of Timberlake and Tupac. <laughs> All right. So of Tupac, Timberlake. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, now I got to actually pull it up. My life is pretty great. Uh, My idea of trial is when I miscount on my cross-stitching and I have to redo an hour of work. So, compared to Turin, son of Hurin, I've got it made. It's kind of hard to feel really bad for him, though, since he's pretty much his own worst enemy. Well, himself and a dragon. So, let's recap. Cursed by Morgoth since he was born, young Turin loses a baby sister to disease and is sent to King Thingol, who accepts him as a foster son. A few years later, Turin accidentally on purpose kills an elf in Thingol's court and unnecessarily goes on the run. He then accidentally, accidentally kills his best friend who was trying to save him from some orcs. Then he goes to a different elf kingdom, usurps authority there, loses a big battle, gets put under a dragon's spell, gets a bunch of people killed, runs away, meets a girl, gets married, and is expecting a baby. He then gets revenge by killing the dragon who reveals that he had Turin's wife under a spell too and she was really his sister all along. So she kills herself and then he kills himself and then the ghost of Hamlet pops up on the last page and says, geez, what a waste. The end. Yeah, go reread this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good episode. That, that was uh, that just in case you needed a little refresher on how the story of Turin goes. I think I just crammed it all in there. Yeah, you that, did. That was everything. Yeah. Uh, this is the hands down the most depressing thing that Tolkien ever wrote, ever. Maybe uh, that anyone has ever written. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so uh, what I I, I want to kick it to you first, Kip. Um, you are maybe the most familiar of all of us with the Silmarillion. And so tell me what your experience has been historically with this chapter uh, before we get to what you found in, in this reading that you did. Uh, well, it's, um, it's you know, the people who uh, read Lord of the Rings and say, well, Tolkien doesn't really have any gravitas because his characters, uh, no important characters ever really die and Gandalf sent back and all that kind of thing. I've never read the Silmarillion, in which massive spoiler alert, 
almost everyone yeah, we're, dies. Yeah, we're past spoiler alerts. So. <laughs> well, it's only been out since 1977, right? <laughs> so almost everyone dies. But this is so gut-wrenching, so horrible, so uh, difficult to, uh, to read uh, when you've got this, uh, this massively talented um, warrior of greatness who's been fostered by some of the great people in the in the Silmarillion, and yet uh, because of uh, his talent, his pride, um, basically brings uh, a lots of um, of people down to destruction. Uh, not least of which is the Elven Kingdom of Nargothron. Very painful for those of us who love that kingdom as well. So, yeah, it's just uh, it's it gut wrenching. It's just. Horrible. So let me ask you a follow-up question here. When you you told us uh, the last time you were here four years ago that you read the Silmarillion, it wasn't the first time, but maybe the second time you came back to it. Your your father was dying. You used the Silmarillion as sort of a, a therapeutic correct thing. Yeah, uh, and then you come to Turin's story. Yeah, and th- this is just relentless. Yes, there is not a mm-hmm. shred of of hope in this story. Right. Uh, you know, how did that feel at that time in your life when you're looking for something to kind of lift you up and buoy you up <laughs> and then you get to Turin and it's just like, woof. Okay. So what is this new devilry? <laughs> how did you know this about me? So, so I'm embarrassed to say that um, I identified with Turin and, <laughs> and I said, Oh, I've got so much to offer the world and nobody. <laughs> and it was oh poor me. Oh, poor me. And I finally prevailed upon my wife to read it. And uh, she didn't, you know, want to read the Silmarillion. It was too many names and everything. So I, I, the, the book came out. That's, uh, the that's children crazy were, talk. Yeah, Let's yeah. read the first paragraph. Exactly. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, honey, will you read this? And she did. And, I, and after she did, I said, uh, wow, uh, what would you think? What would you think? And she just completely deflated me. Well, he was kind of a jerk that had a lot of chances to turn back and didn't. I'm like, okay, well, now now I can't identify with Turin anymore. <laughs> she's not wrong. <laughs> no, she's not wrong. <laughs> uh, so, Jack, you finished the Silmarillion for the first time uh, a few months ago, right? Oh, uh, well, I should explain. So, I was a, a Lord of the Rings nerd because of the movies when they came out when I was like 10. And yeah, say that I a saw, little louder. I was not allowed. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I'm not, it's, I was just born when I was. Not my fault. Um, it's when Mandos <laughs> let me out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I was not allowed to see the first two movies in theaters, um, but I was allowed to see the the third in theaters. And so, in preparation, I read all of the trilogy books, and um, then of course saw the movie in theaters, and was one of the best cinematic experiences of my life. And then. That's when I became a full-blown Lord of the Rings nerd. I, I was sort of became roughly, I was started to teach myself Elvish because it was in the index there. I was like, you know, it would be fun to know this. Why not? Uh, and then I attempted as a, what, 10 or 11-year-old to read the Silmarillion. Um, got about as far as the creation of the sun and the moon. <laughs> uh, and then I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really understand what's going on. Um, but... So fast forward to, what, 14 years later, and for various reasons, one of which, and I won't get into this too much because I could possibly alienate all of you and your audience by saying this. I'm one of super which stoked. Is my, yes, one of which is my vicious um, anti-Game of Thrones reactionary tendencies. Oh, uh, I, I decided to re-become a Lord of the Rings, not just fan, but partisan. Uh, <laughs> and so I reread, I reread Hobbit, 
Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then I decided finally to reread the Sil- or to finish the Silmarillion, and I was not. I mean, I was overwhelmed I, at times, but I was not disappointed because really reading the Silmarillion, especially in conjunction with all of this stuff and and with um, my sort of actually formed literary mind, again, such as it is, it made me understand that really the Lord of the Rings is just kind of, as great as it is, it's really just kind of a, a faint echo of everything that happens in the Silmarillion. Like everything... All of the stuff that's epic in Lord of the Rings is, of course, extremely epic. You have Balrogs, you have Gandalf, you have battles, but like the Balrog, there's one Balrog in Lord of the Rings. And in the Silmarillion, there's like, we don't even know how many there are. Um, we have Shelob in Lord of the Rings, who is fierce and intimidating, but she is the like last child of a gigant, of an even bigger giant spider who briefly manages to eat Satan. Who, yeah, <laughs> so, who was, I mean, by the way, a god. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we have so the Silmarillion. There, it's just it is very overwhelming, but it's important to um, capturing the fullness of the legendarium. My, do I get do I get bonus points for using that word? On only if you can. Only if you can somehow with your voice capitalize that. <laughs> uh, the legendarium. Um, so, and, and again, Tolkien himself understood all of these things as a, as a whole. He wanted to publish the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion together, and um, and this this story that we're specifically discussing, I think, is a great example of the the, the most incredible literary feat of the Silmarillion uh, of all, the, including all the things I just mentioned, being that um, most mythic traditions in history, like Greek myth. Um, you can't really trace them to a single person. They're like the products of entire cultures accumulated over time, oral traditions woven in with written ones, uh, passed down from bard to bard. But J.R.R. Tolkien was just kind of like over a 50 or so year period with the help of his son. I uh, was just like, you know what? I'm just going to make one of those myself. <laughs> um, and and I, would, I would stack this story up against really any of the most famous um, – freestanding myths of any other culture and it's just like yeah this is this is something that you could easily see with a, with altering a few details here and there you could easily just sort of place into another culture's mythology and it would it would fit uh it would be like a you'd think of it as like oh yes that story we know that right and that's, in, that's in part because he he borrowed some elements from like finnish and icelandic mythology so that makes sense that that's the case but i think that's that's just one of the many things I've been able to realize reading the Silmarillion uh, really for the first time uh, in, in its proper context, trying to absorb it as best as I can. And there's a lot uh, a lot of borrowing going on just in this story. And I think we'll talk about uh, a little mm-hmm. bit later, maybe talk about Kulervo. Um, and speaking of which, so let's get back to Turin itself. Ryan, I'll kick it over to you for a moment. Um you haven't finished the book. I keep making you skip around and read individual chapters in part because I think it's fun to ask whether this made any sense at all. Just hoping against hope that the answer is going to be no. And so far it's been yes every time. How was this one? How'd it go? Uh, the plot line I can follow, but it's there is so much that I just kind of have to throw out and say, like, ah, I, I'm assuming that happened earlier and I, I know what that is. So <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of the names and things like that are referen- kingdoms. Referencing certain, yeah. yeah, like, yeah can, uh, the, we, can we just read the first sentence for re- like a, a good example of this? Do it, Jack. Let's hear it. 
All right. Um, I want to uh, hear. I'm I want gonna... to hear your pronunciation. Oh no! Now I'm getting my all of my nerd cred is going to vanish uh, <laughs> the moment I start. Oh well. Um, well, here we go. Uh, Rion, daughter of Belagund, was the wife of Huor, son of Galdor, and she was wedded to him two months before he went with Hurin, his brother, to the Nirniath Ardiniadiad. Uh, so that's the first <laughs> that's sentence. Really close. So if you if you don't. Like, like it, there's a lot going into that. After that, it becomes a little more accessible. But like, if you're intimidated by first lines of things, and you're like, your test for if you're going to keep reading something is okay. Does this make sense from the the very beginning? Then you're going to be that's going to be a sort of formidable obstacle. Was so, that your yeah, experience? I I can tell you that honestly, it, to give you the best uh, way to empathize with my experience of this, imagine being at a family reunion and this second aunt twice removed that you only see once every five years comes up. It's like. Oh, your cousin Muriel's getting married. You know, yeah, Muriel, the one that does this. Yeah. Oh, by the way, her husband's in prison, and I, I, I <laughs> and you just goes off, and you just kind of glaze over. Like, when does when when something happens to bring my attention back, I'll be back here. Like, there are times well, yeah. in this when I in in a story like that. So she comes and says, "Yeah, Muriel's husband is in prison." What you latch on to is, "What did he go to prison for?" <laughs> I don't care how we're related. I don't care who he married. I don't, what? Why is he in prison? I want to hear that story. And that's what this one is, right? It's uh, yes. So for that story's like you, in there. You're like, I don't care about Muriel, but <laughs> what, so what about this touring guy and why is the dragon after him? Yes. And so the thing is like reading through this, that uh, there, I had to go back multiple times and reread sections because I'm sitting here going, well, that's a page and a half that I don't remember anything I just read because I had checked <laughs> out during one of those phrases of like, you know, and uh, the dwarf, you know, Mim, I think it's the whatever, you know, yeah. Mim and starts talking about his sons and everything. It goes off for a couple of sentences to know the genealogy of them and, and everything. It's like, wait a minute, didn't he just shoot one of them? Like, can we go back to that and see, like, I want to make sure I understood what happened there. We shot a dwarf, and he's like, oh, sorry about that. If I had known, I wouldn't have shot him. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Welcome wait, to and, the Silmarillion. Yeah, and so Tolkien's like, so he shot a dwarf, and this is why you care. And it's going to take me three paragraphs to tell you why you care. Mm -hmm. Then we'll get back to the dwarfs and the, you know, bleeding out in their in their blood mountain. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, like, I do like the story. I like it. It's just, this is one of those that not having reference points to grab onto made this more work than any of the other pieces Definitely. that we've read. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and I would say that um, if you read this, this is not what you did, but if you if you read the, the Silmarillion straight through, I think that Baron and Luthien is a better story than this. Um, so it may it may be a sort of a slight come down. I guess it depends what your preferences are, because the Baron and Luthien is a very, I mean, there's 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 action of plenty in that, but uh, it's a bit easier to sort of understand, and then the the Aragorn and Arwen connection makes people uh, fonder of it. Um, right. Whereas this is much more like one bad thing after another, sort of like um, Job from the Bible. If Job had uh, a sword that was made out of a falling star, <laughs> I would love that a part of the Old Testament so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, yeah. That's it's not in the Jewish Bible per se. It's in mine. Uh, so, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, no, that reminds me of maybe we should get into kind of the background of this story and why why it is as dark and as difficult as it is. So I mentioned earlier the story of Culervo, um, and attentive Tolkienites will know that there was a book that came out. Three four years ago, is it called the story of Calervo? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah something mm -hmm. like that. And it's um, 
what Tolkien did was he took a few chapter chapters, whatever, whatever you want to call them, a few chapters from the Finnish Kalevala, and it's their national epic poem, and it's you know a bajillion verses long, uh, and part of it deals with this character of Kulervo, and uh, and he basically took that story and ripped it out, uh, and and saw that it had some some kind of comedic elements to it you know there's there's some relief to it it's and there's a whole moral to the story at the end of it the the moral of the story is be nice to your kids and all that uh but this story of Kulervo has a lot of the same story beats as turin uh marrying his sister she kills himself he falls on his sword he talks to his sword before he does that you know that kind of thing but he went into the story of Kulervo, and it seems like he just picked out anything that was light or any any black comedy that might have he might you know might have been thrown your way as relief he says nah, nah I don't want to do that <laughs> and he just he just made it as bleak as possible he probably had had a bad day when he wrote that <laughs> <laughs> so well so there are some theories as to why he did it this way and if you read I believe it's the second book of lost tales um so if you if anybody if anybody is like me and is foolish enough to have 12 <laughs> volumes of uh of oh, uh what's it called the history of middle earth mm. on their shelf um the second book is the book of lost tales volume two and in it there is a kind of a a deleted scene almost it's a part of the story that tolkien originally wrote and then removed um in subsequent writings and it's at the very end of the story everything bad has happened everyone's dead uh and then uh turin and uh Nienor, what's what's her actual name uh niniel niniel mm-hmm. uh they end up in the halls of mandos and he kind of keeps their spirits and they're supposed to and and he, like they're given these great rewards and uh, they're gonna hang around until the last battle and they're gonna come and fight alongside the valar yeah and all and, this stuff and, yeah. and that shows up in his uh and their in their latest uh release uh fall of gondolin it's one of the okay. last things in the book which i i've been putting off reading on purpose but anyway so so in the original it, it like they were going to come back and then he decided to take it out the theory that i've heard and and it seems credible to me the theory is that he took it out because the idea was you make tour in this awful fallen person nothing he does can go right he's cursed by the devil basically and he's supposed to represent original sin this very catholic uh, tolkien-esque idea of original sin and then at the end of the story, God says, yes, but despite all of that, I can make something out of you. And so he plucks him out from that and makes him a hero. And it's this whole, uh, what Tolkien called eucatastrophe, mm-hmm. which is the sudden yeah. turning to good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so salvation. And so the theory is that he took that part out of the story because it made it too obviously a Christian allegory. And he never was sure what to do with this story of Turin after that, uh, because he didn't want to make it a Christian allegory. He didn't necessarily make it want to make it as dark and despairing and hopeless as it is. <laughs> uh, and then Christopher Tolkien says, "No, nah, let's let's throw it in there. This this is good stuff. Oh, I'm let's glad put it's it in. in there. Oh no, I love it. So, <laughs> um, Kip, have you ever read the story of Calervo? Uh I read highlights. I, I think when uh, when that came out, I kind of uh, went to the wiki version. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. But but yeah, yeah, everything <laughs> <It's>, you said. <laughs> it's it's uh, very much." Uh, You've got to be devoted 
Tolkienologist to care. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm impressed that you uh, remembered that. Now, are you also going to talk a little bit about the the Siegfried and Fafnir um, influences? No, you are. Ah, okay. So um, uh, uh, the the Northern Casual Germanic myth of, uh, of of Siegfried, you know, who is the great Germanic hero, and uh, then Wagner took a lot of uh, his stuff and made these giant operas out of them. But uh, there's a lot of uh, of um, uh, Siegfried in Turin and a lot of uh, Fafnir in in Glaurung. Uh, but the main thing is that he finally kills it from below. So there's mm-hmm. there's definitely this this uh, thing. Uh, you know, a major influence. I wouldn't say that it's his it's, that that image mm-hmm. is directly yeah. torn from yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if the story isn't all the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about Turin himself and what what kind of character he is. Ryan, did he drive you crazy? Did you like him? Did you hate him? You know, from years of of discussion on books and things like that, that I tend to not connect with characters who. Who aren't Luke Skywalker? Yes, um, <laughs> it comes right down to that. No, but who end up getting beaten down all the time and never seem to get something positive? So when you told me that that's kind of the, how this story was, I'm like, I am not going to like this. I'm not going to like the character. I'm like, nah. but I actually don't like. I don't have a problem with her, and I actually liked the story. And as much in, as much as we talk about how bleak it is and everything, like there, I think it's it has that weight because there are a handful of moments where he is handed a decision or makes a decision and does something that makes things worse, but you have the hope that maybe he won't. Maybe he won't. Like, for example, he's tied to the tree. Uh, he's had knives thrown at him all night. He's been tortured, whatever. And then they... Uh, Bella, 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 yeah. Bella, right. thank you. Uh, Beleg comes in and cuts him down, uh, and then he kills him, like just kind of in a. Turin kills Beleg. Turin kills Beleg in a in kind of a rage. While like, during oh. a storm, while lightning is striking, right? Maybe yeah. These these details are important because they <laughs> yes. make the whole thing. Uh, Awaken from they a sleep. They inspired all the later prog rock album stuff. (laughs) 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 But like, I I remember in that moment thinking like, okay, this, he's catching a break here. He's going to get saved by his friend. They're going to, it's all going to go wrong again in a little bit. And I was like, okay, this is great. And then stab, stab. Oh, lightning flash. You see the, your friend's face and now you're catatonic while the orcs go like, oh, well, he would have run away by now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a bizarre <laughs> little scene, isn't it? Like, and then they left and left him there sitting, like just staring. Not so, but, but how does this, how does, I, I want you to answer my question. What do you think of Turin? And why do you bring up this part? And uh, I'm bringing this up because I sh- based on everything I've said, I shouldn't like Turin. But I'm okay with like, I still like him. I think... Like, I still like this character. Uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't even want to call him like I don't that he's an idiot or anything. He's just, he's driven by something other than in his intellect and logic when he does things. Right, right, right. And the, so the question Which, is, is it the curse of Morgoth? Um, all right, Jack, are you ready? Let's get philosophical. Okay, may I, may I say what I think of uh, Turin first? You may, and then we'll get philosophical. Okay. Yes, I think Torin, what I was saying earlier about how you can sort of, changing a few of the details of the story, you can sort of slot it into any mythological tradition and it would kind of fit. Uh, I think that goes also for the American mythology of the Western. I think Torin is kind of like a a tragic Western character, like the the badass uh, lone gunslinger who just can't, who just sort of goes from misfortune to misfortune, trying to make the best of every situation. Uh, in fact, there was a specific 
line. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, well, he says, yeah, a shadow I cast wheresoever I come. Um, but yeah, this is the one specifically where he says, uh, or where the, it's written that he walks as one without wish or purpose. To me, I wrote in the margins of my copy of the Silmarillion, Desperado, because that <laughs> reminds me of the, the line from the Eagles song, um, your prison is walking this world uh, all alone. And that's kind of touring. You I missed mean, a you missed a through in there, but uh, I'll let it slide for now. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Well, look, I I'll, 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 I'm going to consult my my age again for as my excuse here for that. But um, so yeah, I, I, in that sense, touring is kind of like an archi- archetype that fits in with the Western tradition of American mythology. Um, but I now, so now what did you that. want? Well, what would you what did you want to say about philosophy or what do you want to ask me about philosophy? Well, okay, so Ryan was talking about how there seems to be you know, no matter what Turin decides, everything seems to turn out wrong. Um and so we the word doom is used a lot in this. Fate would be a synonym for that in this case. Um so we have behind this whole story and I and I texted Ryan at some point and I said, hey, you need to go back and make sure you read the last three paragraphs of the previous chapter because it sets up the whole, like, Hurin has been captured and Morgoth puts a curse on him and, and makes him sit in a chair and watch the whole next chapter. On which I family. totally did. Not super twisted. Yeah. I totally went back and read it. That's good. I'm so glad to hear it. Uh, <laughs> you should have. <laughs> anyway, so there's this whole... Morgoth has this curse on him. And my question is... Um, you know, how much credence do we give this idea of fate and doom and, and how much of it is just Turin makes awful choices and he wants to blame it on the curse, uh, but is he just a jackass? Uh, I mean, that is that is a, a tricky question that, that comes up often in um, like Greek mythology as well, but I'll sort of dodge here by saying that Whatever the actual answer is, it's very much consonant with a theme of the Silmarillion of fate and choice and characters um, confronting the confluence of the two awkwardly. Uh, I mean, that's the, in addition to what I mentioned earlier about the um, the whole like uh, lapsarian, like this this world is fallen theme being present in the Silmarillion and later in the Lord of the Rings. I would say probably the second most dominant theme in the whole thing is what I just mentioned, this whole fate, um, doom. And again, doom, doom in this book, at first I had, I had to get used to the use of the term doom here. Cause I don't think it's always meant in the modern sense of like, Oh, this is bad. Our doom is coming. Sometimes it's kind of like doom is kind of a neutral term. It just sort of is more of a synonym for fate than the negative version. So, so it, when you have a, when you have a doom, it doesn't necessarily mean like, in the Silmarillion, it doesn't mean that this is your you're screwed. It just means kind of like this is what has been appointed to you. Um, and some people come out. Some people have good dooms in the Silmarillion. Others don't. Uh, like Turin <laughs> does not have quite a good one. But uh, I, yeah, I think so. His air. Let me let me put it a, a different way to you. At, um... Uh, to what degree is Turin a victim of Morgoth's curse? Uh, is it is it Morgoth's curse, or is it his own pride and and terrible choices that make things turn out the way they do? Well, this might be just me my reaching into my own philosophy here, but I'm very much um, 
to to reach into uh, you you can't see it and obviously people listening to this can't see it either because <laughs> it's a podcast <laughs> um but on on my on my on my not bookshelf behind me is is the is paradise lost and uh one thing that satan says in that book uh, which is actually it's weird that satan occasionally says things that sort of make sense in paradise lost um but i don't that is that is neither here nor there but one thing he says in that is uh the mind is its own place. Uh, it can make a heaven of a hell or a hell of a heaven, and I think that's at play here. Like obviously, when you have it, when you're cursed by one of the most powerful de- deities uh, in in this mythological tradition, that's a pretty that's a difficult challenge. But you can respond to that in different ways. You can just sort of resign yourself to, to just pure apathy and pure anger about it. You can try to make the best of it, and I don't know. I think Turin. Despite maybe having good intentions, I think he uh, he his arrogance uh, kind of gets the best of him sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a barstool philosopher kind of thing. You know, people like to talk about, oh, you know, logically, there's no such thing as free will, and we're all just along for this predetermined ride, and there's nothing you can do to change any of that. Um, it, maybe that's true. I don't, I haven't dug into it enough to know enough to say with any authority what I think on the subject, but I will say that even if that were true, that's no way to organize your life. Mm -hmm. That's no way to live your life. You have to live your life making choices and you should try to make them the right ones. Right, Kip? I mean, what, what, what do you make of this whole free will versus doom? Doom, Morgan. Let's debate right now. <laughs> uh, <that's, that's laughs> so we're going to solve it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is solving anything, uh, but um, I I believe that you know the the whole Silmarillion is basically falling under the curse of Mandos. You know, a much uh, greater curse, which yeah. um, which actually derived from this terrible uh, event that happened, the Kinslaying. And, uh, and so uh, Feanor brought all this stuff on onto themselves and Mandos basically said, you know, nothing that you uh, attempt will come to do good and you will be slain and, and ultimately fail. And so um, to me, that was the main curse. And that was a curse that was done uh, as a result of, of these horrible mis- misdeeds that people hundreds of years before had uh, created uh, um, you know, in, in Beleriand, uh, and Turin basically uh, fell under that. I, I think if you fight against, um, Morgoth, then you're going to be doomed. I mean, the only way that, that Doriath, um, um, endured was because, uh, Thingol and Melian basically said, we're going to wall things off and I'm a goddess and I can, I can do this. But if you fight, fight against Morgoth to try to get those, uh, Silmarils, uh, whether you're a man or a, an elf, you're going to fail. So um, I believe Turin uh, still, uh, independent of the story, uh, um, had some free will, and I think he uh, made uh, mistake after mistake after mistake. Where it is, is really frustrating um, for me and is that here was a guy that had so much talent, so much prowess in arms, uh, was worthy of um, everybody's uh, um, interest and attention, and uh, basically just said, no, I know best. And that is what makes Turin great for me, is that I, I say, you know, don't get too caught up in you feeling like you know best. Why, you know, keep an open mind and, and listen to the people who love you 
<laughs> who want you to be successful, who are not trying to troll you, who are not trying to bring you down. Yeah. And uh, whether he had a lot of uh, a choice or not, I, I think that he, his choices were you know, uh, pretty much wrong, but they seemed right at the time to a, a person who was pretty talented and pretty arrogant. There and a lot of the a lot of the coasting I think happens in the latter part of the story where he's already on track for disaster and he just keeps kind of making those disastrous choices. But I as I read it this time I realized it was right up front at the top of the story when um he's given the choice to come back into yeah. Doriath, right? Mm-hmm. He runs away, he's oh, I'm a fugitive from the law and by his friends. Beleg comes back and he's like, <laughs> Oh, by the way, you're not a fugitive. Thingle's pardoning you. Yeah. You should come back. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that because uh-huh. I kind of like being a fugitive. It had a breaking bad quality, didn't it? Where <laughs> it was bit. like, you have every chance <laughs> right. to uh, to not do this. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just know that if I was an all-powerful deity, evil, you know, entity, first thing I would do is just give, if, yeah, give right. all my all my enemies dooms and curses like that just because you can't lose there's no losing on it you just if they buy into it then everything bad that happens like oh he's in my head it's a curse and then you and win if it, if it doesn't work out you're like man way <laughs> yeah the funny thing about this is that even though the, the curse on Turin is from morgoth morgoth I mean, to me you, you guys mentioned this in one of your earlier episodes that i listened to um how morgoth is just a great character and to me it was like poochie in that one simpsons episode whenever morgoth's not on the screen i'm wondering where's morgoth yeah. you just made the a poochie Mor- reference <laughs> that is yeah, see, I, that I, is a first that episode yeah so that i can i can reference old things but so morgoth's <laughs> barely even in this in this chapter instead it's glaurung the dragon who's who's the main antagonist uh and it, do we think that glaurung sort of fills those those antagonist shoes well or is it actually there's an argument to be made. I was wondering for Turin to, as his own man, main antagonist. Uh, he may be actually the the real villain of the to himself of this whole of this whole story. Oh, that's a good question. It, you know, you can have the the protagonist isn't necessarily the hero, right? Um, yeah. Ooh, I don't know quite where I come down on that. I think Glaurung is a fantastic villain, uh, if only because you don't often get to see dragons be as clever as he is. I mean, awful, terrible, awful. He does the worst things, yeah. but clever. The most sadistic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and with just his eyes too. I mean, that's what I was, mm-hmm. I, it makes me happy that like all the dragons were out of the picture by the time, by the time Lord of the Rings comes around, because otherwise they'd be like this massive looming specter in the plot. Um, whereas here, I mean, they're, they're, they're used well here, but it's just like, don't even look at him. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's frightening. Yeah, it's that great moment when uh, when Turin stabs him and his arm is all covered in acid, and that's not doing him in. And then he looks at Glaurung. Glaurung looks at him, and Turin just falls over. Smoke him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, never, I'm out. Yeah. Um. Why, what were we even talking about? What was I talking? About? Uh, I think you're talking I, about I, fate I, and Turin. And uh, I think yeah. we, we can we can move off of okay. fate. I think unless anybody else has something to say about it. Um. But Ryan. As the first-time reader here, I wanted to just ask you the simplest question that I should have asked you up front. Favorite moment? Just something that stuck out and you just said, dang, that was cool. Uh, favorite moment uh, is 
him being frozen by the stare of the dragon and having to watch everybody walk in front of him. And then when he comes to having to live with the memory of the scream and the, of, uh, you're sounding pretty sadistic at this point. You are pain tolerant, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but that's like, that is the moment, uh, in this read where it didn't matter or anything else that was thrown in there. I was in the story here. I was able to, I was able to like, Oh, Oh, okay. I don't like this, but like oh, I'm, it's I'm a here. Great bit of storytelling, yeah, for sure. And the imagery—it's kind of like Jack was uh, made made pains to point out the lightning strikes and stuff because it's this very cinematic moment when Bellig is rescuing him in the woods and it's a thunderstorm and all this stuff. And this is another one of those where if if you're reading it and you don't kind of get lost in that little moment and watch all the essentially women and children walking by, mm-hmm. oh, heart wrenching. Yeah, awful. Yeah, great choice. Thank you. you. I'm a terrible person. Yes, sick, awful, <laughs> twisted human. Kip, well, favorite moment? Well, I have the inverse moment of that, and that's when he's able to uh, thrust Girthing into the belly of the dragon up to its hilts. <laughs> I couldn't believe when I first read the, the Silmarillion, I didn't really get much that was going on, but I'm like, okay, I get this. He, he is actually able to kill this dragon, so it was a, a little bit of light in the it's dark. Exactly. You, you think for one second, oh, we're we're getting a, a happy ending. Well, the dragon did die. Not so much. <laughs> so that, there's that. All right, Jack. Favorite moment? Well, I'm gonna go with something like very bizarre because um, you guys have taken the the best moments, and this is something that just stuck stuck out to me. And I had a feeling that what wasn't going to be mentioned by anyone else. The death of Hunthor, I think, is his yeah, name. The, the his guy name. who accompanies Turin uh, to try to kill Glaurung. He doesn't. I mean. In the Silmarillion, there are some incredibly, uh, like, uh, again, metal is the best, is the best <laughs> adjective here like, that you could uh, draw covers of for, like, a prog rock album. But Hunthor gets the most um, realistic and sort of depressing death as Glaurung is kind of, like, moving around top this cliff. He, he stirs up these rocks, and one of the rocks just falls on his head, and he dies. Right. And... That to me, that was just like all of the this crazy stuff happening in the Silmarillion: gods fighting, dragons flying, and a guy gets hit on the head with a rock and dies. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a just... great moment because right before that, uh, I, I can't. I, I've read this I don't know a dozen times, and I still just don't even bother to try to remember all the names of everybody who's with him. Uh, but there were supposed to be three of them there on the cliff face. It was doorless. Doorless. Yeah. He just takes off. He's like, "Yeah, I'm out. I'm a- out. I after... can't do this." So the two of them go, Hunthor yeah. and Turin, mm-hmm. and they're climbing the cliff face. Hunthor gets his head caved in by a rock. He falls into the river, and Tolkien goes to some pain to say, you know, at least he was there. Not That uh, man was valiant. Yeah, not, like, not least of the House of Haleth. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and, and also not before Hunthor actually saves Turin from falling. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah so Hunter right. was quite quite a character. That's a that's a nice pickup. Yeah, He's the, good the Winter Soldier of the Tolkien <laughs> <laughs> universe. Uh, so mine would be uh, my my little pickup. I've obviously, like you said, Jack, we've talked about all the coolest moments. Uh, but there was a little tidbit that I caught this time, and it was when he's tied up uh, to the tree. The orcs have got him captured, um, and the the Bellic comes and cuts him down and the thunder and the lightning and all this stuff and the orcs take off running and it says something like 
because they thought that the thunder and the lightning were sent by the lords of the west <laughs> uh, against them and i love this tiny little insight into orcish culture and how um it's it really was like a mirror image of the you know the the children of iluvatar the men yeah. and the elves mm-hmm. and how they have their little superstitions mm-hmm. and the orcs yeah. have them right back at you unfortunately just the opposite was happening which is the lords of the west were actively ignoring the things that were going on yeah that's <laughs> uh, i don't want to uh, that's a whole can of worms kip um <laughs> okay so let's i, I want to kick it to you guys if you have any bullet points anything uh, talking points that you wanted to bring up that you came prepared with uh questions that you wanted to ask do we want to get to any of those in the last 15 minutes or so i just want to throw out one of my favorite uh quote moments yes quotes quotes as long as it's not the first sentence uh no no it's (laughs) a little bit past that um this is when uh beleg comes back after uh, he gets permission to go find turin and everything here oh so he's come back to thingle or he's come back to turin he's back to turin um turin has has said that he's not going back okay again uh but still turin would not return to doria and beleg yielding to his love against his wisdom remained with him and did not depart um, and in that time, he labored much for the good of Turin's company. It was such a little thing. Like, it's not a glorious, prosaic moment or anything, but it highlighted the something that I feel is lost in a lot of modern literature and in even modern culture, this, but love shown, the, the love that Belleg has for Turin, and that even though it didn't make sense like to stay, that he did. And you see, like, you already talked about another character who, you know, he showed up type thing. That seems to be a recurring theme. If you look at the other characters in this story, their love, their drive, their sense of duty, their sense of love or whatever is what drives them to stick around this magnet of absolute bad, terrible things. (laughs) Sure. Um, And that first line there kind of set me up like, I'm wondering if this is going to be a theme through the whole thing that people choosing to love Turin, even though he is repeatedly choosing to not be deserving of it type thing right and so like is that uh is the lesson here be true to your friends no matter what or is the lesson here like if you've got some sort of sociopathic friend who you know you, like should you cut bait and run the what's, lesson, what's the lesson here the lesson here is that if you get cursed i'm not i'm not hanging around <laughs> we've been through so much got real personal didn't yeah. <laughs> jack what do you got um, I just want to say, because I, who knows when I'll ever, when I'm ever going to be in a position where people care what I have to say about the Silmarillion. So I just want to say like one or two things about the work as a whole. <laughs> Isn't that that right now? <laughs> um, I just think, uh, the, the, just the way that it was written, it's, it almost makes me, it, it makes me feel like, uh, it, it actually was written in another language and the like, what we have is like an inadequate translation of it. Beautiful. And so we like, and that there's, there's bits and pieces in the text. For example, in the, in this story, it's, it's said that this, this story will be told in brief. Well, it's, I think it's the longest single chapter of the Silmarillion. And so you have this sense that like somewhere at one point there was a, a scroll that is now like crumbled to dust that had the whole story on it. Or like in some campfire in the long, um, there's uh, some some bard was able to just recite this whole thing from memory, whereas we have this this meager text with us, um, which is still an amazing thing. But this is 
it's just the way that that Tolkien presents this this whole thing to us is uh I just get the sense that it actually was a real mythology and um I hope that I'm not I hope this isn't a like Santa Claus isn't real moment for any of you where where I said that it's <laughs> uh, not real um but I, I and it, it just speaks to me what he said in the version of the Silmarillion that I had had this letter that he wrote to one of his editors uh, during the the production process and he he, he wrote that uh, he always had the sense of recording what was already there somewhere not of inventing and I just that the whole work is just shot through of that with me just I feel like he and he and Tolkien himself sort of presents himself as someone who's faithfully reproducing this as best as he can for us but the real thing is just this is only a tribute <laughs> to the to the best <laughs> to the greatest uh, song epic. in the world yes uh, and i just that that's one thing I, I love about the silmarillion for all of its overwhelming list of names for all of its uh sometimes bewildering uh turns of plot like just the, i i do feel like i'm reading something that yeah. was produced by one of the great epic traditions of 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 world history and not by some guy deciding within like a couple decades span just to make it himself. Right. Well, I'd have a couple of things to say about that. First of all would be that this whole idea of, you know, I'm recording something that's already there. I think that sense that we get from that or that he, that he got himself comes in part because of the background stories that he pulled a lot of these from. So we mentioned the story of Calervo. There are many, many others that uh, you you talked about uh, Siegfried and, and all that stuff. Um, and so one of the things that you can let this story do for you is, uh, it make you want to go find those things and read them. And so I, I, without Tolkien, I would never have heard of the Kalevala. Why would I? Nobody talks about mm-hmm, it, right. but because I love this story, it kind of makes me go, oh, I wonder if I could get a good translation of that and read that. Um, so there's that. And then the second part of it that I wanted to say was, it's amazing that, you read the Lord of the Rings and he kind of peppers these little references throughout to make you go, Oh, yeah. there's this, there's this whole mm-hmm. tapestry of background mm-hmm. on all these characters. And then somebody hands you a copy of the Silmarillion and, and they say, this is that background. Go, oh my gosh. And I'm going to read these 330 pages of amazing background on all this stuff. And then as you're reading that, like you say, Jack, there's even more behind that. And so uh-huh. you, at, what they can't do is hand you, Tolkien's study with all the filing cabinets and right. all, you know all yeah. the stuff that he mm-hmm. was referencing, but mm-hmm. it was all there. The closest you're going to get is that 12 volume history of Middle Earth, um, which, by the way, I should uh, tell you, Jack, if you get the third volume of that, it's called The Lays of Beleriand, and it has uh, the poem that Tolkien wrote. Uh, it, this is based on his epic poem on the children of Hurin. Um, and uh, it is the longest poem that he ever wrote. It is absolutely immense, and he never finished it. I think he got what was it, Kip? Do you know? Maybe two thirds, three quarters I don't, through. But it was a it was a chunk. But yeah, then he abandoned it. Yeah, and so he wrote two giant epic poems. One was Baron and Luthien, and one was uh, Tour and Turambar. Um, and this one was written in alliterative verse, similar to what he was used to with something like Old English. Um, this is a poem. <laughs> this is not a poem, but it was based on a poem. So, uh, anyway, yeah, good one, Kip. Uh, I, I don't remember what my question was, but I'm either. kicking it to uh, you anyway. Is there anything you were, else you were that you? Us some final thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A- anything else you wanted to talk about with Turin? Uh, can I can I make a parallel to what um, uh, Jack just said? Sure. Um, that um, 
Uh, a lot of people think that Conan is a, a, a silly character and all that kind of a Conan thing. Conan the Barbarian? Uh, Conan, yeah, the Robert E. Howard uh, creation. However, no, no, no. That's, that's, he is who I've patterned my body after. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. And I can like, see that. Yeah, yeah. It's clear. wailing before you. But, uh, you know, uh, Robert E. Howard was uh, was a wordsmith that, that you know, was had some beautiful constructions. He was not just a Pulp Fiction kind of writer. But um, he had a very similar kind of response uh, when people asked him about the Conan books. He said, it was like the character was standing behind me dictating uh, these stories. And, and I, I not that that's great. was it. Did he have an Austrian accent? Tell me he had an Austrian accent. <laughs> I was like, that'd be very uh, annoying I, to I have think, Schwarzenegger I, behind I you. I think he time. was a little bit like Jason Momoa rather than Arnold, but <laughs> but it's uh, it's fascinating to me. Uh, both of those uh, the, these writers are just electric, and uh, I, I I love what he's uh, saying there. Is that you? I mean, when when an author is as good as these two were, you feel like um, they're basically just transcribing. Uh, events rather than uh, inventing, and it's a beautiful thing. This is just this is just such a wonderful tale. Um, yeah, that's I guess what I'll say. No, that's perfect. Um, let's we, we better wrap it up. I guess um, I think I've said my piece on just about everything at this point, um, and so we'll we'll keep this episode a little bit shorter. I have no doubt that if we really wanted to, we could go for an hour and a half on Turin, but. Um, uh, I, I guess I'll just say that I, man, I love this story, especially because it ends where it does. I mean, I made the Hamlet joke at the beginning, but I do kind of feel like it's a great cutoff point. And I, I chuckled thinking of you, Ryan, because I had given this to you completely in a vacuum. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you'd read a couple of the chapters before, but, uh, but it's hilarious that it starts with, so there's this kid in a, under a curse and then it ends with, and then he died after he <laughs> got his sister pregnant. <laughs> so, you make it sound like the, like the way you just said that. I was like, now can you do this in a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air style? Like <laughs> open it and then <laughs> finish this, it out. This is the story all about yeah, how? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to finish that. Throw that to Reddit. Don't Somebody Fresh Prince. Somebody Fresh Prince this at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Let's cut and run there. I, I just want to once again encourage everybody uh, who hasn't read The Silmarillion to do so. Um, this is, if The Lord of the Rings is the book that you could call the father of modern fantasy, then The Silmarillion is without a doubt the wiki. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. I hate you so much right now. Uh, the Grandfather. Gosh. Okay, I finished my sentence. And now I will, again, remind everybody to go to thelegendarium.reddit.com where there will be a post-episode discussion thread that you can join. Um, Kip, I don't suppose you're a Redditor. Um, uh, I, I go on it fairly often. Oh, do read you? It. I, okay. I, don't, I don't participate. What but... about you, Jack? I am not, but I mean, no, maybe, it... like, maybe I'm up for this. What I was going to say is... Uh, um, I, I hope both of you pop in, but if anybody has a question specifically for Kip or Jack, you can throw that on Reddit, and uh, if they're not there in the thread, I can email it to them or something like All that. Right. So, um, yeah, go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and join that conversation there. Patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can support the show. Uh, I, I hope that you do so. I'm really grateful to those who do already. Uh, you make this show amazing. So thank you very much for doing that. Make sure you go to kiprasmussen.com and uh, buy some prints there. They are amazing. I now have four 
in this studio, <laughs> and that is not an accident. We're all seeing. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Oh, which which everyone can see. Well, I mean, okay, nobody can see. Uh, I, well, if you're on. What's that thing called that we do with the pictures? Instagram. Oh. Um, <laughs> Instagram. People can go on Instagram and see most of the studio. So. That's the most Todd thing you've ever said. Uh, look, I, I don't... I I follow like five people on Twitter and that's... And, and, and we do the uh, Reddit and that's about yeah. the extent of my social media-ing. So, uh, oh man, I feel like I'm rambling way hard now. Thanks, guys. Uh, that's it. Let's go. What's what's up next, Ryan? I don't know. I don't know. Schedule. Go uh, to, go to thelegendarypodcast.com and subscribe to the newsletter and you can find out what's up next because I don't know and I can't tell you. I so, think it's Night Angel episode or book 2 episode 1, something like that. All right, thanks for listening everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>